Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are discussing a paper that is titled Equine Activity Time Budgets, the effect of housing and management conditions on geriatric horses and horses with chronic orthopedic disease. This is by Zed Kellerman et al. And essentially what an equine activity time budget is, is a study on how much time a horse spends doing a particular activity. So for example, how long did these geriatric horses and these chronic orthopedic disease horses um, spend eating or spend resting or spend moving whether they're in a stable or in a paddock. So this study looked at 104 horses, I believe it was, and there were 54 warm bloods, 16 draft horses, and then 34 of other breeds. And they were um, studied for, was it nine days, Nancy, in both the spring and in the winter? Yeah. Or sorry, within a nine month period, they were tracked twice. Yeah, they did. um, They were tracked twice for five to 10 days, once in spring or summer, and then once in fall or winter. And it was using an automated monitoring system. Um, So basically like a wearable unit that contains a GPS. um, And it could also basically pick up on other movements and get together some data. One of the um, holdbacks of this monitor is I don't think it could tell if they were recumbent or not. So it could tell when the horse was, wasn't was moving and was in a resting state. But we do know that we need recumbency for the horse to go into REM sleep, which is really vital for um, health and recovery and healing. So that is an area that this paper pointed out that they need to look into further. But overall, what I thought was pretty cool is that the so these horses were either 20 years or older, um, and some of them had essentially like arthritis, but they did pretty well. They With the average, they kept up movement-wise with the same in horses basically that are out to pasture or are stable kept that don't have any ailments or are younger. So within their demographic, um, they fit within the range. For example, they spent 42% of their day eating and the normal range is somewhere between 38 to 44. Um, what I thought was quite cool is their movement because the range for movement in horses um, on average is 17 to 20% of the day. And these older horses and um, arthritis horses were moving about 19% of the day. So I thought that was quite cool. But I remember you saying before to me, Nancy, and I can't remember if it was in an episode or just when we were talking, but you were saying how important it is for them to keep moving, especially when they have osteoarthritis. Yeah, I think when you stop, when a horse or human 
stop moving or doing some kind of exercise or activity, I think those joints kind of just lock up over time. So movements seem to, um, you know, be somewhat normal for these older horses. And then of the four groups, they had like lame horses older than 20, sound horses older than 20, and then lame horses younger than 20, and the average was around 16 years of age, and then sound horses younger than 20 that averaged about 13 years old. So they had a good representation of the ages of horses and the fact that the older lame ones, they, they were like equal to the sound young ones in their movements. So it was quite interesting that the herd dynamics kind of kick in and everybody kind of becomes a herd and moves together. And uh, it was really um, an interesting view that maybe it's not so good to overly protect our older lame horses. And the lamenesses were a grade um, greater than one on the AAEP scale of lameness. Another interesting point that they made is typically we have a habit of comparing horses and comparing other species to their counterparts in the wild. So, you know, saying, well, feral horses roam areas of up to 78 kilometers a day, whereas, you know, our horses are in a very small area in contrast. But what was quite cool about this study is saying that it's actually not a good comparison anymore for us to do that because our horses have been domesticated and they've been domesticated under these kinds of species-appropriate living conditions, which they've adapted and responded to over many years. So using these feral horses as a comparison basically isn't a great example of welfare meeting welfare needs and especially because in the wild you know a lot of animals don't necessarily have all their needs met whereas we are well should be doing our best in any of our management situations to meet those five freedoms and make sure that our horses are you know fed they've got appropriate shelter they've got appropriate um, opportunities to express their behavior and I just thought that was quite interesting. Um, also, what was cool was when it comes to behavior, they were saying that the horses who were stabled obviously showed more kind of anticipatory behavior or um, stress behavior in linked, linked with the timings that feeding would occur. So, you know, there is that um, prospect for, I suppose, more stereotypies to occur or stable vices in another sense in these horses that are kept in the stable. So maybe considering just again, environmental enrichment in those cases and in our older horses, that's equally as important. I think sometimes we think about youngsters and we need to tire the mind as well as the body. Um, but in older horses, they still need that mental stimulation as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even, most of these 104 horses were taken from a sanctuary and then divided up in 
these different management styles. And um, the management styles were stalled with turnout. So turnout could be, say, um, during the daytime, and it could be anywhere from, what, three hours a day all the way up to 12 hours a day. And then um, they had, and that was always dependent on weather conditions. Then they had group housing where um, three to four horses would be in a stall together or in a turnout area together and then turned out into paddocks or pasture. And so um, the other ones was full-time pasture uh, with a run-in shelter available. And then they just recorded with the hoof step, which you know me in my tech techno geek ways, I wanted to find out what a hoof step was. So I went to their website and I don't know if it's available in the U.S. I sent an email to them to find out. But what you do is you buy this headgear that kind of looks like a halter, um, you know, and it just fits around like a halter would. And it's got all these GPS and all that in it. And you pay for that. So say you want to do two horses, the starting cost for the head collar would be 100 euros. And then you would pay for the app at 25 euros a month. So and the more you order, the less the cost is. But um, I thought to myself, it's that was a great tool for research because you're not depending on cameras and a person out there 24 seven watching them and a person always kind of you put your own input um, that sometimes is somewhat subjective into it. So with this, you know, it was a pretty accurate reading of what they were doing um, on their website. They have people who actually have these and they're able to keep track of their horses on large acreage to find out where they are and if they're OK. So um, it's definitely, um, you know, kind of a different kind of technology than what I've ever investigated before. And I think, you know, to make the, from a research point of view, to make it more robust, the, that technology would work perfectly well, maybe with the camera just added in to tell if they are lying down or standing up. Yeah. Yep. You know, then you wouldn't need to worry too much about reviewing the footage because on the technology, you can see the resting points and then you just need to check to see if they are lying down because, as I said, that REM sleep is so important and something that, is important to be aware of, especially if you're traveling horses and maybe for competitions or you're doing stopovers along the way, is that horses that are in an inappropriate environmental condition or are under stress, you know, they'll have decreased resting times. And resting behavior is a reliable indicator for equine welfare. So we need to make sure they're resting yeah. appropriately. And adequately. And it's something that um, I've chatted about before with students that you may see in older um, osteoarthritic horses in a veterinary setting. You know, if, if an older horse comes in for some reason and needs to be stabled and kept in and they're normally out of pasture, 
they're out of their normal environment. It's noisy. There's different smells. They're going to be quite stressed. But they also have that added element of that stiffness. And these are fight or flight animals. They're really aware that if they lie down, they're more vulnerable. And a horse who's stiff and can't rise as quickly is going to be more reluctant to lie down too. So it would be a really interesting study to be able to just tell that as well, especially in those arthritic horses, were they lying down as much yeah. or had that reduced? Yeah. And then remember, we did the one episode about the bedding and it mattered how thick that bedding was, whether or not some of those arthritic horses actually laid down. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you have a chance, listen to that episode as well. Um, I thought it was interesting that overall, all these horses in this study ate most in the morning and afternoon, and they ate the least at night and early, early morning. Now, that included um, pasture horses as well that always seem to have access to some type of, of forage. Now, um, in a 24-hour period, horses stabled up to 21 hours a day, ate 35% of the time, compared to full-time pasture horses who ate 48% of the time. So there's a little discrepancy there, but they figured that difference may be because horses eat less in general during the night, um, especially when they're stable, they might not have bedding that's edible. So the sanctuary ended up, ended up adding hay nets in the horses stalls overnight that had those little uh, spaces so it would slow down their eating because they found out that they really are looking to eat at least every four hours. So they'll eat and then, you know, slowly eat and then take a break. And anything that was over that four hour threshold seemed to indicate some form of digestive problem or increase those stereotypies, like Kate said. What's also interesting that was listed in here in relation to that is the quantity of food. Yeah. So working out that en energy expenditure, but I love when it's done in simple terms. So they said a 500 kilo horse, oh, this off the top of my head, could eat 25 kilos, was it, in a day, which was the equivalent of something like 10 kilos of hay in yeah. 24 hours. I, I saw that. Um, I don't know what exactly um, the amount was, but it, it was pretty much, you know, and it was even that low grade forage, like we talk about, uh, if you have a fat pony, they still have to have stuff going through as trip mm -hmm. feeders. And so you might want to integrate a little lower grade forage that doesn't pack that high calorie high digestible energy, but they still need the same amount of forage, which is, yeah. which is 2% body weight normally. Because that's what I thought of when I was thinking of the slow feeders is, mm -hmm. you know, it's great to slow them down when they're eating their hay and to get them to kind of pick at it a little bit more and not just, you know, pull it out and wolf it down like some ponies do. Yeah. you still need to provide the same amount. So they still need the opportunity to consume, you know, that 10 kilos per 500 kilo horse. 
even yeah. if you are slowing it down overnight, they they still need the access to that quantity essentially. So it's important that you know we don't end up feeding half the amount. Yeah, that's really important for that digestible health. And I I thought the one takeaway that really drew me in on this is that um, some horses, even though they're out with a group, they notice they behaved a little different than the other ones. And so they were going to look at that as outlier behavior um, and accept them as individual differences. But when they actually investigated why a horse wasn't moving with the herd mates, um, they, they found that some, um, it was age or chronic lameness, um, you know, like say a horse, um, well, one example that happened to me this summer is a friend of mine has a horse that was not going out with her group. And um, it ended up she was seeking shade at the hottest part of the day because she had had trouble sweating. She was slowly becoming a non-sweater. And so that horse chose to leave the herd and take care of herself. So I think whenever you see one not doing their normal routine that they've always done in the past and that stick with the group, then it's time to investigate and maybe, you know, do a health check on that horse to see what's really going on. And this article or this um, research kind of came with the same conclusion. Yeah, I think that's a great way to summarize it because, you know, what it, what is the importance of knowing time budgets? I mean, there's probably people listening like, who cares if my horse eats for 42% of the day? But it's to not notice the change. You know, if we can really be specific about how much time they spend doing things, and I know we don't watch them 24 hours a day, but this would be particularly useful in um, competition horses. It's noticing that change. And like in this case, the older horses, when you notice that change, there's something that is underlying there. I mean, a horse doesn't have a routine for 20 years and then suddenly, you know, isn't eating during the night or isn't resting as much or isn't joining in with the herd. They don't just all of a sudden do that. There's something that's underlying there. And that's what helps us kind of spot that and improve welfare that way because we're going to catch things a bit quicker. Yeah, and I think the fact that this research showed that age or chronic lameness should not prevent horses from following mm -hmm. herd patterns. So we kind of know that, but if it ever does, then let's investigate, see if the lameness is getting more severe. I mean, it could be so many reasons why, but that I think that was the highlight of this paper for me because, um, you know, I mean, that is so true is it's just observation and in, in knowing your horse and, and realizing, uh-oh, this isn't right. This isn't the normal routine. Exactly. Yep. Um, I think that's all I had for this one, Nancy. Yeah. The only other thing I wanted to say is I found this paper because I was reading an old training book on horses and um, this guy said, don't, don't go out wanting to train your horses when they're 
when it's resting time. And I thought, resting time? What does this guy mean? Because none of us necessarily ride our horses in the middle of the night, you know. So I started investigating what does he mean by resting time? And I watched my herd. And sure enough, there are various times throughout the day, sometimes two, three times, where they all come in to just hike that leg and rest one leg and sleep. And I think, how often do I go out and grab someone to work with because they're close? They're up near the overhang wanting to rest. So um, kind of caught me by surprise that, yep, they're, they're not as willing to learn. They'll go through the motions, but this book you know, reminded me that they're at the sharpest to actually learn when they're not tired. And so anyway, that's what led me to this paper. And I, I think the research pretty much proved that book written in the 1950s, the guy was spot on without having any research to really back it up. The power of observation. Yep. It, it's all about that. And your gut feeling will kind of tell you to, you know, but anyway, that's all I had. I, I think it's a um, open source paper. So I'll put the link on the homepage. And I wanted to remind everybody, don't forget about the International Society for Equitation Science. The conference uh, began today. And go ahead and get signed up. It's free. Go to their website and um, make sure you catch a few of those uh, presentations. I know there's going to be a bunch of good ones. Brilliant. And um, I look forward to chatting to you then, Nancy. We'll be back next week with another episode. But do sign up to um, the ISIS conference because there's just so much uh, valuable information there that is free this year. Oh. So definitely get stuck in. And if you have any questions, let us know. Okay. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Nancy. Take care.